And welcome to the B Signal Podcast. I am your host, B Anthony. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the B Signal Podcast. Uh, Given the circumstances of the week, um, I thought the subject matter that we're talking about isn't only relevant to film, but also just a good way to have a good discourse um, about race and some of the realities of race from a perspective of black men. Um, Before we move forward, I would like to introduce to some and present to others. Only the second Brody to be on the B-Signal podcast. Uh, Kasim was on the fourth episode, and now on episode number 13, I have Mr. Brown. Hello, sir. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. Um, I'm happy to be with you tonight and discuss something that we both um, love. And you know I- I'm a very race racially conscious person <laughs> regardless of the situation so hey <laughs> let's get to it i'm excited um so before we move further i feel it's only appropriate that we send our thoughts prayers and condolences to the family yeah. of uh george floyd um it's horrible um and it goes without saying that you think that in 2020 that what we have witnessed on uh, social media, you wouldn't see anything that extreme. But then the weird part or the the reality of it is it's kind of become the norm. Um, this is the latest in a series of killings of, uh, of, of Black people <laughs> in this yeah. country. And just when you think, I don't even know if I thought it, but, you know, it's another one, and this time uh, with the measure or the way that they captured, the videographer captured everything, um, I think the world was just forced to admit that um, something that we knew um, <laughs> just all along that there's a serious problem in this country as it relates to uh just racism, bigotry, hatred, and everything else under the sun. Um, and I know for me personally, it's been a slow burn this week because I've been in a unique position of seeing it and then trying to, I guess going, I was in a state of shock where it was just like, is this really happening? And yeah. to see it proceed the way that it did, it blew my mind when I finally saw it. And then on day two, I think the trauma or the reality of it all just really like hit me. And uh, since all this has started, I've just been kind of in this weird space of like, um, still wanting change, still wanting things to get better. But, you know, is that even a realistic expectation anymore? You know, or... I, I I just don't know what to feel, if I'm being very honest, except for the only thing I'm clear about is that it's I'm angry about it, I'm disturbed, um, and just lost. So how did you feel? Um, I think with all the constant bombardment of the images of watching Black people die on camera, 
at this point, I feel nothing. Why? Wow. I, I, I'm, I'm numb to it. Like it's something that is a recurring event. And I constantly tell people that in order to protect myself, there's a reason why I prefer to live in a majority black city with black police officers and black elected officials because it allows me to feel semi-safer. Not saying that I'm going to be completely safe, but it allows me to have some kind of level of protection of what's going on. So to see this black man pleading for his life, it was reminiscent of uh, Mr. Gardner in New York saying he can't breathe. And it reminded me of a lot of the things that I've read. Uh, I don't know if you are familiar with an article. It came out maybe a few years back where they said doctors don't believe black patients when they say they're in pain. Uh, almost as if we're like superhuman, like we could take all the pain. So if we say that the pain is a nine, they're thinking it's really just a six. We're just over exaggerating or we're trying to pull a fast one on them to get painkillers. And it reminds me that our humanity is not often recognized. Yeah. And and so when someone's like, I can't breathe, I knew exactly what that officer was thinking. It's like, oh, he's just trying to play me. He's just trying to pull a fast one on me because these these Negroes are always being tricksters. They're little bird rabbits, you know, yeah. trying to pull a fast one. And and I'm like, why can't you just the man was on the ground. He's he's not doing anything that needs that excessive of force. Like just throw him in the back of the car. Yeah. If, if that's the case, just throw him in the back of the car. It's for y'all. Y'all can't get him in the back of a car. Yeah. Down. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it is in our hearts, it's in our souls, and it's that festering rage of why. Why does this persist? And a lot of times the media points to the picture. That was the first thing that popped in my head. Do you watch the show Atlanta? So that's a, okay. So this is going to be a shift of tones, but because of our dynamic. So <laughs> yeah. I just want to warn everyone watching, we are not insensitive people, but that honestly did bring a joy to my face because I was going to start watching it um, after you guys talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Okay. And I have I have yet to start, and that's only because honestly, I forgot. That's that's the <laughs> so it's okay. <laughs> well, but I heard it, the, it's really really good. So. Yeah. So on the show Atlanta, they had a a parody of commercials on their uh, BAN uh, episode in season one, and one of the things they showed was like the cartoon character trying to get some cereal, and this wolf goes to grab the cereal and a security guard jumps on top of him and starts like arresting him. And I thought about that commercial because the cop has a knee into the wolf's back and the kids are like, yo, he just wanted some cereal. Like, let him up. Yeah. And he was like, I'm just protecting you, ma'am. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just cereal. It's yeah. just uh, uh, a forged... $20 bills, $20, fake $20 or, or whatever. And a lot of times, if you ever had counterfeit money, I don't know if you ever got counterfeit money in your possession, 
sometimes you get it and you didn't know where it came from. And yeah. you just have to be the one where it's like, dang, it's counterfeit. I would never give you a counterfeit bill on purpose, but now I'm in this situation. And then the third thing, uh, which might lead to some more grander discussion was the movie Do the Right Thing, where Radio Raheem uh, was pinned down by the cops on the ground and and and, and they choked him out and, and they killed him on there. So yeah, shout out to Bill Nunn, my Morehouse brother. You know, gotta gotta put that in when when you can. Um, I don't know if you studied the civil rights movement at, at much, and when they did the the marches in Montgomery, mm-hmm. Martin Luther King was strategic, and it's kind of messed up to say it, but he had the youth go out there and do a lot of their protesting. Yeah, he figured that if the media caught wind of the police abusing the children that will cause the world to react yeah so to utilize the the what what <laughs> the kids were going to look like because if you beat up a grown person they don't care about yeah. care about no grown up they, yeah. well, they, don't care, they don't care about a man yeah they might care about a woman maybe they only care about children and elderly chris rock yeah. already said it you know no one cares about a about a man he only cares about what a man can bring to the table and it's how you utilize those images. But I think this was just a, such an image that is like we couldn't justify this. I um, remember seeing it, uh, seeing uh, Ava DuVernay, DuVernay's movie. Um, and that was one of the things that I noticed. And I don't think I caught on to uh, how he did use the youth to not only, I guess, be a part of the movement, but to bring attention to the movement. Um, I just think at some point it has to, I don't know. And I guess if there's a delay, it's just really, for me personally, it's just weird that you have to deal with the reality of what this is. You know what I mean? And and really just processing them. One, one sentiment that I've been seeing consistently is that we're human. Like, I have black skin, but, you know, you can't keep uh, associating or correlating these things with me and then use it to either diminish my value as a person or, you know, or try to trap me in this constant rhetoric of human opinion that we are less than. Um, And this country, for better or for worse, or for worse in this case, doesn't get it. (laughs) Um, And that that's just a harsh, harsh truth, I think, or I know that we have to continue to deal with. Um, And that's, it's just bananas, you know. So you got to understand that in order to enslave another human in the way that chattel slavery was done in America, because I know a lot of people argue like slavery is as old as time. Yeah, so, but it wasn't based upon race and it didn't last your whole life and your children didn't become slaves as well. Yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't that, it was slavery, but it wasn't what America made slavery out to. Yeah. And so in order to practice that form of slavery, you had to dehumanize those people. 
You had to dehumanize our ancestors because that's the only way you could justify it in your spirit. That's the only way you can look and see what was happening and not feel bad. And so the campaign of using or the propaganda of using the good book where you cherry pick certain scriptures to justify about why you were enslaving or why you were treating these humans less than human because they treated the horse and the cattle and the donkeys and all the other things on the farm a lot better than they treated the the enslaved Africans on these plantations. And so they already was propagandizing <laughs> these <laughs> using media to dehumanize Africans, enslaved yeah. Africans in this time. And then in order to make the other people in society buy into this, they have to believe that they're subhuman as well because slavery didn't benefit poor white people. It took money out of their pockets. That's a job they could be doing. That's land they could be doing. But you're using cheap labor, which is taking money away from me in the colonies, right? Yeah. But I can convince you to go along with it if I can say, hey, if you work hard enough, you too could own a slave one day. And that's the first American dream they try to sell to people. <laughs> you too could own a slave one day. And so when they, they set slaves free, that was so ingrained. That's years, that's hundreds and hundreds of years of feeling that these black people were inferior. Because even when we were given emancipation, it was still in the backdrops of every non-black American's mind that these are people that have to be taken care of. They can't take care of themselves. They are incapable. <laughs> uh, we have to monitor them, monitor them either like children or like criminals. Yeah. And that's been the, the mindset of, I think, the extremes of racism. Because I would say wholeheartedly, just be, you can be racist and love black people. Let me say that again. You can be racist and love black people because racism has nothing to do with hate. Racism has everything to do with feeling someone's inherently, you're inherently superior or someone's inherently inferior. And that was based on the propaganda that the powers that be <laughs> put on uh, black people, man. And so, you know, they got, they got the, the liberal white folk <laughs> that, that, Give you that get out situation. Talk about media, right? Yeah. yeah. Give that get out situation. Like, oh my God, you don't know what to do with your blackness. Let right. me show you. Because clearly you're using it wrong. If right. I was, I would do all these wonderful things. And then you had the other people like, nah, exterminate them. They're, they do, they bring nothing to society. We got to get rid of them. Um, with all that in mind, this is a movie podcast. Um, <laughs> but I do appreciate the uh, depth of knowledge that you bring, and which is why I'm glad you agreed to uh, do this episode with me um, and to do a hard pivot. This is a hard pivot, but I think we can do it. I think we can. I watch uh, basketball, baby. Give me the rock. <laughs> give me the ball. Got it. 
<laughs> this is what happens when you watch the Michael Jordan uh, documentary and you just feel like you know you know all that you need to know. So you keep throwing those basketball phrases at me, and I'm going to be ready. I'm just that's a lie. That was I got lucky with that one. Um, <laughs> so I saw an article um, on the No Film School po- uh, website. Uh, awesome website if you want to learn filmmaking without spending thousands of thousands of dollars um, going to someone's film school for you to hear their story about um, what they did or didn't do with their life and why it's going to be hard for us film students to be successful as after we get our degree. Um, <laughs> that's that's only half true. Uh, but the article, uh, the name of it, if I get my notes to 20 films you need to watch about race in America. And I'm going to sum it up, but it basically uh, talked about how, of course, we're in a hard time right now. Um, But film is one of those mediums that you can use to not only be entertained, but to also uh, learn uh, about other lifestyles or situations that you might not be accustomed to. And the hope is that if people watch these films, that there will be this enlightenment or this uh, this moment where everyone is just like, yes, we get it. Eureka. Eureka, <laughs> you know, pick a topic. The idea is that that's what film is supposed to do. Uh, does it do that? I think that's up for debate. Um, I'm not white, so I don't know. See, that's the thing. So it's like <laughs> for, for people who aren't a part of whatever class of people that you're profiling within that film, it's kind of hard to say because they get the luxury of watching these things and they have their moment of, you know, this is horrible. And then they get to go back to whatever their norm is versus, um, you know, people from our community. Um, And this isn't to say that all black people are the same or monolithic, but there's this, I think, general truth that all of us understand that, you know, there's a struggle, <laughs> whether yeah. um, implied or whether actually experienced that, you know, Black people in America um, either will go through or have the potential to experience some of the themes that are explored in the film. Um, that being said, some of these films, um, you know, were made 10, 20 you know, 40 years ago, and you're looking at it, and it's just like, oh my God. So the conversation has been had. You know, we've we've shown you every angle of the story possible. Um, we've even allowed it so that studios have made a lot of money off of our stories. Um, <laughs> and and you know, yet there's still this inability for some, not all but for some people who are outside of the community to understand why it is that we are mad, upset, um, hurt, lost, all the adjectives that I mentioned at the beginning. Um, So I know I sent the article to you, but what were your thoughts? Um, Let's just start with the intent behind the article. Um, And I'll put a link uh, once I repost this. Uh, What what were your thoughts? Because for me, it was just like, yeah, these are great films. And you know, you know, very, very important. But you know, people have seen these. All types of people have seen these, and yet we're still running into this. Well, <laughs> well, well, maybe if we think about it like this, if it affects one person, 
It changes their perspective that one person can then inform their community. I mean, that one non-black person can then inform because we need some Asian allies too. Uh, right. we, you know, if you, we, we, we know that it's not always the same amongst all people of color. Right. Um, one thing I did notice that was missing from the list, I immediately noticed as I read the article, because I, I had seen or heard of majority of these films, unless I overlooked it, where was Roots? Uh, well, technically, Roots was a miniseries. It wasn't a film. So they had, no, no. <laughs> I knew you were gonna do that. I knew no, because <laughs> they had the whole wire on there. They do. It <laughs> was like watch the wire, and I was like, yeah, bet. So where's Roots? <laughs> like, like if you're gonna make exceptions to your film <laughs> category <laughs> and have that, <laughs> and have, have <laughs> yeah, and have the wire, then you can have Roots. <laughs> On there, yeah. That's all. All I'm saying. All because you cause know, roots is pivotal. <laughs> roots is very pivotal, but you know that's one of those uh, projects. And admittedly, so I think I've only seen it one time, um, just because it's it's real, you know. And there's really no way around it. It happened, <laughs> um, <laughs> and you're forced to acknowledge that truth. Um, and it's a truth that, um, and I've had conversations with other friends about this when it comes to film or people watching these films for a lot of people, you know, they really aren't aware of some of the narratives that are being shared in these stories. Um, but to answer your question more specifically, I don't know why Roots wasn't, I know why I, I know why Roots wasn't there, <laughs> but. Cause you said it's not a film. If the, if the list was pure, I would be like, okay, I understand that assessment. But to not put Roots, which probably touched more homes it than any of the other pieces of media on that list. It was yeah. a miniseries for TV when you only had six channels. So majority of American homes watched this every single night. And it was a big talking point. You had... LeVar Burton and O.J. Simpson. <laughs> you oh, can't yeah. forget who's in these movies. And John Amos, you had people from all these different, like O.J. was one of the biggest running backs in the game. And he's in yeah. this movie. We had John Amos who's from Good Times. Like, goodness gracious. You had the father from the Brady Bunch <laughs> yeah. in this miniseries. It was a cultural milestone and did not have the thing that let more white people understand about slavery than any other piece of work is rude, yeah. man. It's rude. Yeah. But I, I understand the article. They want to keep it more contemporary, but yet they have films that went back to 1959. Yeah, and, you know, I thought that was interesting, too. Um, when you asked the question, I thought about that. I'm going to call out some of the uh, films on here. Uh, but some of them my mom introduced me to. And, yeah. you know, I don't know if it's some of those stories, maybe it's the fact that um, well, well, you need the imitation of life. You need the imitation of life because it so lets we'll you know so much about colorism. Colorism. <laughs> so we'll start with that film. That's my. That was the film I think my mom showed me 
Um, and I said on episode one that my mom really, my mom and my father was my film school. Um, they just showed me a range of things. But I remember watching The Imitation of Life and uh, I was greatly confused because I couldn't understand why this little girl didn't want to be black and why she was so insistent on saying that she, you know, was white. And now granted, when I saw this, I think I was six mm. or seven, but you know, mom sat me down, made me watch it. And it was one of those things where it's just like, okay, this is, this is deep. This, um, and there's so many things going on in Imitations of Life. But the one thing I remember was this young lady hated herself so much that she was willing to not only run away from her mother, but literally, in essence, kill her mother. Yes, she um, did. And, and that stayed with me, you know, um, that you can hate yourself so much that that hate, hatred for self, affects everyone around you. Um, and then by the time you realize, which pisses me off every time I watch the end of the movie, she comes running at the funeral, screaming, Mama! and uh, <laughs> at that point, it's like, Mama tried to tell you, you know, and um, Man, that, to that, it. that was one of the first films that I remember watching. And you, you, it like roots, but not as you know raw as roots. It just forces you to acknowledge um, how the world at that time was, and in many respects still is. Um, and then also for Hollywood to tell that story at that time, um, looking back on it, I thought it was just something very, very um, unique. Yeah, you know, I, Imitation Life is. One of those movies I think we see, it's one of my mom's favorite movies, if not my mom's favorite movie of all time. And so it's it's pivotal. I think yeah. it, it lets people know that, yeah, we, we are black and proud, but I don't think we've also been afforded the opportunity to ever even consider passing. Me and you are not Mexican enough or have the features that ever, ever consider that, hey, what if I wanted to be white today? Like yeah. I could pass for like something, something else. So to have that feeling, would I? Because you know that's an easier life, an easier lifestyle. Yeah. I don't know if you ever been around one of your white friends and see them interact with police officers and think to themselves, "Holy smokes, you can do that!" <laughs> I didn't know that was a part of the game. <laughs> the first time I ever realized it, and this is going to make you laugh because you know me. I used to work at FedEx Field. Okay. And, um, you know, clearly sports isn't on the forefront of my mind, but I needed a job. Moving on. So yeah. um, <laughs> I remember working there and some of the things that they would do in front of police officers while under the influence of alcohol, it amazed me because it's just like, um, so in essence, what you're doing <laughs> is you're not only cursing out the officer or the authorities or the powers that be, but you get to, you know, jerk away or you get to, you know, walk away or uh, the cop is just like, um, calm down, calm down. You know, it's it was just a different perspective. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, what's special about these magical people? Hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> um. I think that was the one of the first times that I was actually aware 
um, of, of the difference of how the two extremes are handled. You Yo, know, something we can add to the list. Since we talk a film, this is still a film. It's technically a film. It's a <laughs> it's Dave Chappelle's "Killing Me Softly," and he has a bit in that comedy act uh-huh. where he was talking about him and his friend Chad. I don't know if Chad is a real name or whatever, but he said Chad pulls up beside a car and he goes, "Dave, I'm gonna race him." <laughs> and David was like, said he was high out of his mind. And he knew it was a bad idea. They're like the middle of New York City. And he's thinking, nah, don't do it. Don't do it, Chad. That's dumb. But all I could say is like, well, sometimes you got to race. You got to race, man. Oh, my God. And he's zooming through the thing, uh, traffic and everything like that. Not stopping the stop signs, all that kind of stuff. And, of course, the cops uh, pull him over. Yeah. And the cop berates him like hey what are you doing you're crazy you're driving all of that and 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 chad goes i didn't know i couldn't do that and dave was like huh you could say (laughs) i didn't know i couldn't do that (laughs) a black person could never use that excuse because every cop knows we know the law and even if we don't know the law a old black man will pop out the back like hey don't do that son (laughs) that's against the law (laughs) and that just painted the picture of how on <laughs> media the experiences of being black in America and yeah. white in America. Yeah. White people can act ignorant to the fact that these things are going on while we we know <laughs> what was going on. Like we know no and we can't even like lie and say no I didn't know I couldn't do that. It's like going to Georgetown. Um, <laughs> you're fa- okay. Never mind. I don't even have to finish that. Um, no, 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 no. You might have to say. <laughs> no, but it's an expectation. You know what is allowed, what's not allowed, how to act, what you're not supposed to do. Um, at a time, well, no, it's still like this for the most part. Any place, uh, Northwest, or uh, you know. Um, I remember growing up Waldorf at the time was that place, you know, when you go to Waldorf, Merlin, um, that's, that's where it's nice and it's suburban and the birds chirp while the, you know, people go out to the yard and, and pick their vegetables, you know, that, that was um, the impression. Now, of course, it's, it's extremely different now um, being that they cut down half the vegetation there for sake of, you know, capitalism, but, the bigger picture here is that those experiences um, are real in what you're describing, which leads to another film that's on the list, um, A Raisin in the Sun. Uh, you, you try to, I, I want to say I've seen the Sidney Poitier version. Okay. I know for a fact I've seen the Diddy version. <laughs> now see, I haven't seen the Diddy version. I haven't seen the Diddy version because the Sydney Portier version, again, my mom showed me when I was a kid and she made me, I think that was one of the few where she made me sit down and watch it. And I'm like, why am I watching this? But like, after seeing it, we had the conversation of, I guess, what race was in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one of the scenes I think uh, was when they went to go look at the house um, and they, you know, love the house. They had money to buy the house. Um, and then they sent that, 
at Point Dexter over <laughs> <laughs> to pretty much pay them not to move into the neighborhood, you know? Um, again, that that's one of those films that I just remember it, like, it, it, it forces you to acknowledge or to embrace what that reality is um, for, even blacks today, I feel like maybe it's not as prevalent, but any minority group, um, you have to think if you do move into the old all white neighborhood, are you the token? Are you going to be the one that everyone looks at um, to just kind of be like, it's one of them, you know? Yeah. you And you got to protect yourself. That's why we are blessed to be where we are. I, I'm in DC. You're in Prince George's County the richest black county in all of America. So if you see someone in Prince George's County, uh, African-American driving a Tesla, you don't think ill of how he got that Tesla. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You don't gotta be a D boy or something like that. Like, no, nah, I, I got a Tesla, I got a nice home. I got elevators in my house. Yeah. Like this is things I've seen in Prince George's County or I'm like, oh, y'all y'all got money, money, Yeah, you know? But it's not it's not out of the ordinary to see that. Where on the flip side, you could be uh, Gates going to his house, and they thinking he's trying to break into his own home as if he's not this great <laughs> uh, professor, right? Who's been giving reading people's DNA tests on TV for for years now. <laughs> yeah. You're like, no. you don't know who I am? I'm Henry Louis Gates, baby. <laughs> you don't know me. <laughs> <You're> gonna... <laughs> and, and, and so it kind of shows that the systems and stuff put in place, they're going all the way back to the raisin in the sun yeah, to kind of keep us separated that money can't erase your blackness. How about that? You know? You you think you clean now, but I can still treat you any old kind of way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is like funny though. I, I'll say this. I came to this conclusion a while, a while ago. You know how we normally say we gotta teach our children to be more than athletes and more than entertainers and everything like that. And I've come to the conclusion why? Why are we teaching them not to do that when entertainment's been the only area where African Americans have been allowed to succeed with no interference. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We've been allowed to become billionaires in entertainment and sports. Billionaires. Yeah. Oprah, entertainment, Magic Johnson, sports, Michael Jordan, sports, Jay-Z Beyonce, entertainment. Like they barely interfere in those arenas. They just let us be. And mm -hmm. I appreciate that. But let you try to start your own cell phone company. <laughs> Like, nah, I bet your cell phones is inferior. It's an inferior product. I, I don't want that. Let me start. Uh, can I get a billion, a billion dollar uh, clothing company? Oh, man. FUBU ain't going to be that great. Come on, it's FUBU. Like, yeah, to diversify. Yeah. Like, like you could be great off of Ralph Lauren. We ain't question his greatness. <laughs> we, ain't, we, we, we ain't question Calvin Klein's greatness. Uh, I don't know the fashion houses in Europe like that, so I, I don't know who runs them. But you know, <laughs> but yeah, kids, go make these movies. Go I, ahead I, and be Tyler Perry. <laughs> oh my! Oh my! O only on the money. We, oh. we, we we can agree that he doesn't make a quality product. I like 
sidebar conversation. I've been consistent with it. I like Tyler Perry. He makes he makes content for his audience. And you know, if if you're not in his audience, then that's fine. Um, I I don't have a problem with Tyler Perry though. I think what it proves and what it's a, a signet of is that we're in an age now where you can make stuff and it can find its audience. And for as many black people um, who don't care for his work because of the lack of structure or whatever else you're gonna say about him, um, he's found his audience and you know they are supporting him and they continue to support him. Um, and hate it or love it, he has the money to back up and to make other opportunities. You, you got to do it. He is the embodiment of hip hop and the hip hop spirit, meaning make it happen, make something yeah. out of nothing. Yeah. My thing about Tyler is that I don't believe Tyler ever wanted to be a director or a producer. Tyler mm. only wanted to be an actor, but he couldn't find the work. So he had to make his own way. And okay. he happened to be successful at that own way and it put money in his pocket and kept him off the streets and homeless. So why not keep doing that? But I contend that Tyler never, ever really wanted to be a producer and a director. He wanted to be an actor. And, you know, he's been in other movies. I watched him in, in Star Trek. I saw him in Gone Girl. He was I've good seen in him in Alex, in, in Alex Cross. He was, watched, good in Alex, he was good in those. So like he far, wasn't, he's, not, he's not a bad actor. He's not a bad actor at all. Mm -hmm. He's a terrible writer <laughs> and a lazy producer and director. No, he's a bad writer a lazy director and a phonetic producer. Phonetic really, producer? Like, like he's really phonetic. Like, I got to get it done. 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 And he's thinking about the cost. But he sacrifices quality for, for money. How cheaply can I make this? And it shows. Sure. But then I think you, you can look at uh, like uh, Roger Corman, for example. Um, who makes all these B-level movies? Um, and I don't know if you've seen any of his films. They're 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 bad too. But Nemo, Nemo. Oh God! You know he did the he <laughs> he produced the first Fantastic Four movie. Okay, uh, okay, not the, not that uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is from the '80s though. Like I'll say. Oh you no, this. not that one. Yeah, oh my God. Oh studio. no. Yes. So you know what? I think that paints the clear picture of what Mr. Corman, Mar but to, to his Marvel don't even talk about that movie no, no more. <laughs> no, there's a documentary on about it on um, Amazon. I'll send you the link. It's on Amazon Prime. But um, he did another one called Black Scorpion. A lot of it is just straight to video. But my point in bringing up Roger Corman is that for better or for worse, whether you like his stuff or not, I think what Tyler has done is in the same vein of a Roger Corman and that he created this content, found an audience for it. Is it the best thing anyone has ever seen? You know, that's up for debate. I personally don't judge art, but um, that's a lie. I do judge art, but <laughs> but no, I, I feel like when it comes to directing, and I understand your opinion, and um, I, I just feel like for Tyler, where I'm at with him, and I, I look up to him, actually. Um, I think his business model and the way he does things, you're, you're not going to be able to find anyone. Um, As you should. 
Uh, but now the other side to that is objectively and just putting things out there, his stuff makes me laugh. I, I look at it. <laughs> I was watching um, um, the funeral movie last night, as a matter of fact. And I, I know if I put on anything Tyler Perry, I am going to get a very, very good laugh. Does um, he make you laugh on purpose? Yes. Yes, he does. He does. I'm not. <laughs> I'm gonna let you finish. I'm quiet right now. Go ahead, finish your statement. <laughs> he does, but uh, you know, you're not the first one to look at me like that. Um, I have a lot of friends um, who are just like. I have one friend in particular, um, and he'll know who he is when he watches this. He'll be like, "I just need Medea to die, like die for real, like no more Medea. What else can Medea do?" Um, so you know, I get it. I get it. Um, anyway, going back to what we were talking about, because I, that's a whole, I like Tyler Perry. I just want to put that out there. Yes. Brian Smith is a fan of Tyler Perry. Um, I, I, I feel like though, what he represents is the ability, uh, that you can make films the way that you want. And, well, and he falls in, in, in the same vein of Melvin Van Peebles, who's also on the list of Movies you should watch. They had the the life story of like Melvin Van Peebles when he made Sweet Sweetback's badass song, which yeah. that's the original black exploitation movie where he did that fully gorilla. <laughs> it's like so, he lost his sight trying to make that movie. I I respect the Van Peebles, uh, you know, both father and son, and I I do I don't believe they they fall in line with a group of directors, black directors. Uh, your Robert Townsends. Uh, your Keenan Ivory Waynes, uh, they they really did a good job of laying. Um, they weren't the only ones, but for me, when I think about filmmakers growing up, they were one of the ones on the front line who not only did good content, but like people like Keenan Ivory Waynes, literally brought his whole family along. And then while bringing the family along, he was very generous in giving people opportunities. You know. Um, Mario Van Peoples, I remember he, uh, I remember Solo. I don't know if you remember that movie where he was like a give me, superhero. Give me, uh, he, uh, I think it was like he was this genetically enhanced soldier or something. Oh, and I remember he, the trailers for it. I don't know if I ever watched it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I remember him being the one that was always just doing interesting, weird, different stuff. You know, you watched the posse. I I wasn't allowed to watch the posse. Actually, <laughs> I need to watch that one because I wanted to see it. Um, it's but... like on demand somewhere. I watched it the other day. Big Daddy Kane in there, man, and one of the Baldwin brothers. Okay, <laughs> I, I Stephen. Wanna... <laughs> oh, that that he loves the Lord now, so I don't know if he would um, endorse that. That's Stephen. Um, yeah, but no, I I love. Mario Van Peoples, um, and appreciate New Jack City. New Jack City is one of those films that, again, <laughs> it falls in line with what I was describing at the beginning, which is uh, the stories, the experiences, everything has been told. And I remember that being one of the ones where I feel like it was us telling our story. And granted, it was a negative scenario, but it just felt authentic before Hollywood really caught the idea and was like, wait a minute, drugs, 
black people, violence. We're going to make one of these at least once a month. And we're just going to, you know, that's how we'll get the blacks in the theater. Um, but I remember that one standing out a little bit more because of the quality and the performances. Um, and, and again, um, the, the rhythm of it all, or, or the execution, I should say, was just done very well. Um, to the point where, of course, everyone tried to copy it, which that's Hollywood, you know, you see well, it. Like, well, let's look, let's look at the black, those black films, those came out in the nineties that was influential that I still maintain their voice. We got the New Jack City, you got Juice, which I still think was a very much independent idea, wasn't trying to copy anybody. And you got Boys in the Hood, which I don't think it was trying to copy anybody it was like a very unique it was like we've heard all these new york stories now let's actually hear what happens in la yeah. which is a totally dynamic of of blackness of they're trying to navigate gangs because new york didn't have gangs like that or like not like that yet right While la was a totally different ball game as you tried to to be a youth in that town which I thought was a very pivotal film uh, to come out the gate with Boys in the Hood as your first, your debut film? Yeah. Holy, holy smokes. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like Singleton, when you think of uh, your Singletons, and especially Spike Lee, um, all of their films, um, for lack of a better phrase, they were done for the culture, I feel like, and a range of the culture. Do you feel like because they were more of the pivotal voices. As a joke on the list, by the way, they said all of Spike Lee's films. Oh, uh, they are. And I've watched, <laughs> I watched 95% of Spike Lee movies. 95%. Even the ones you ain't watch. <laughs> I know you ain't watching. I haven't watched all of them. I'm not even going to pretend like I've watched every single Spike Lee film. It's on Netflix or Amazon. I believe you can I think it's every single one of them. Yeah, because I think he worked out a deal with Netflix or something. Something's going on over there with yeah them. yeah because you can watch school days on that and i love me some school yeah. days school days anyway. i did watch uh <laughs> they just did a remake of that scene uh with the jigaboos and, uh, and wannabes <laughs> wannabes um on boomerang that's uh the tv series and it was horrible it was really really bad uh, because they try to put like a trap beat under it and i'm oh. like you know, we don't have to put a trap beat under. Is everything. it good or bad hair? All of that. Is it nappy or fair? <laughs> but they changed the song to be about twerking and being a real dancer and uh stripper, stripping strippers or something like that. It was just like it was one of those things where you're watching and you're like, you didn't have to do this. Like nah, no one no one wanted this to happen. Um, but my question is when you look at their their breadth of work. Um, and since both of them were on the list, um, do you feel like there's anything else to tell as to why should should that story continue? Should that story continue to be told um, as far as the themes that they're exploring? Because they've been telling those stories for so long, and it just seems like it's falling on deaf ears. Well, I think it's a matter of how you tell it. Because mm -hmm. I think with like the concept of bringing She's Gotta Have It to the mainstream, of bringing it back to the modern era of how do we explore Black femininity in today's society of what are the norms for sexuality, mm -hmm. which, you know, was groundbreaking when he did it in the 80s, 
but now I'm doing it from the lens of someone in the in the 2000s, 2000. that is different. And then I think you could touch upon certain things with it out being overwhelming. You can watch um what's the one with Clive Owen? Is is oh inside job. Yeah, so you can watch Inside Job and it still have its sneaky nods about how race and class interplay <laughs> among certain things. Because you know you're gonna put them scenes in there because they had a the little boy playing the game, killing the killing all the black people. <laughs> and it was that, like, yo. I remember the scene that stood out to me the most, and you can I know you're gonna correct me because I'm about to say the wrong thing, but when the uh gentleman had his hair piece on or the hair wrap. <laughs> and the cops took it off, but mm-hmm. what Spike caught in that moment was the sheer disrespect and the mm-hmm. pain that whoever that actor was, it was it was just done well. And of course, Spike is over the top with everything. I think yeah. I, that was the first time that I was like, "Whoa, whoa!" Like this means something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it, it goes deep. And I'll say the thing with Spike that Spike has done that is kind of surpassed John Singleton. Mm-hmm. Spike's documentaries oh my God. are some of the best documentaries you could see on this planet. Four Period. little girls. Four little and girls. When the, and when the levees broke, yeah. A Requiem uh, <laughs> of a Dream. Uh, oh, no, it was a Requiem in Four Parts, not Requiem for a Dream. That's a different movie. But those two documentaries alone, I was like, yo. He got in so deep and it made you my God. Yeah. My God. I and, remember. Mm-hmm, I was going to say, I remember uh, four little girls specifically. And my mom, once again, my mom told me about it. And um, it came it came back home um, or it came back to me when I was watching uh, Ava DuVernay's film about Dr. King. And when they that opening scene with the explosion, um, I was like, I don't think it would have, I don't know if that would have made the film. It probably would have been considered if it wasn't for Spike's documentary and the impact that it had. Um, and he, he was brilliant enough to bring it to HBO because um, I don't even know if they would have made theaters, that type of story. Um so yeah, I, I didn't mean to interrupt what you were about to say. Sorry. Oh no, I, I was just thinking about like how you can in, integrate these themes of blackness into film. Yeah, these themes of race into film without necessarily that film being dominated by race. Let's go to a more modern take on it. We look at Ryan Coogler's body of work. If you look at Fruitvale Station, which is a devastating film, but I have not seen it. I oh my God, man, I, that's and, one of those movies. The, the reason why I haven't seen it is it it was already hard enough back then to to know that that happened in real life. Um, it's a struggle for me because things like that are, are literally happening, literally happening yeah. today. And I don't know if I can, if I can sit through it because it's just, it's, it's, it, 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 it is a hard watch in that I've seen, I want to say 12 Years a Slave and Fruitvale Station came out not too far from each other. Which I have not seen 12 Years a Slave either for the same so, reason. 12 Years a Slave was hard for me because it felt like torture porn. Yeah. And, and like I could watch Hostel for that. At least it's not like black people. I can watch 
that and just completely uh, removed my blackness, my sensibilities from the situation. So yeah. I've only seen 12 Years a Slave once. I've only seen Fruitvale Station once, but Fruitvale Station devastated me more for the simple fact I felt I could have been Oscar Grant in that station. Yeah. And the way that Ryan Coogler was able to make Oakland, you you felt the city. Yeah. That's why I like Fruitvale Station. If you look at his next body work of doing Creed, like Philly is a character. It is. Like, and, and it wasn't. It wasn't Sylvester Stallone's Philly. It was like black Philly. I'm like, oh my God. It was. Like, like, like this, this is a character in this film. And then you moved to Black Panther. And I was like, this is a lead of uh, this the geography in the many aspects of blackness, because geography affects your blackness. Mm-hmm. And how it was another living, breathing character because our geography breeds our culture. Our culture influences the way we talk. The way we speak, the way we move, the way we commune with nature. We, we as African Americans are very spiritual people. Yeah. We commune with each other in a way we live in rhythm. I think that our places. And um the my favorite scene in Black Panther actually is the uh the uh the waterfall scene when he's being um uh officially made king and you know, all the colors, of course, are there, but I think it resonated with me a little bit more because I think it was uh, the actor who played Shuri, or maybe it was Angela Bassett. She said in that one scene, it was like every Black person throughout the world in that one scene. So it wasn't just Africans, but you had, you know, uh, African Americans, you know, uh, your Islanders, and, you know, wherever there was a Black person, uh, it just seemed like was that a Pan-African moment caught on film. And to your point, he made you feel not only that it was a joyous moment, but the energy, the the spirituality of that Mm -hmm. moment. Um, and you didn't care where everyone was, but it was just this beautiful image of black people on the screen. Um, you, you don't have to sacrifice your blackness for your art. You, don't. you can make a billion dollar movie and not sacrifice your blackness. And that's what Ryan Coogler has taught me. Yeah. That you don't have to sacrifice. And I'm glad he was able to do that But because he's been so much fine tuning his work. Yeah. You hear that, Tyler Perry? He okay. spends a lot of time fine okay. tuning. Right. Right. You know what? I'm just gonna let you say your piece. Oh no, I'm just saying, like when you see someone is really working on that craft to make Tyler sure it's works right. On his craft, but not everyone's process is the same. I support Tyler. <laughs> so when I finish my script. And if, and if it's a, a bowl of hot mess, please tell me it's a bowl of hot mess. It's don't don't don't. Mess. Yeah, don't let me bring it to the world and it, it be something that is not indicative of what I can truly do. Don't don't do that to me, sir. But sir. I'm not. But I'm not saying. <laughs> hear my heart. I'm not saying everything he does is just spectacular. What I am saying is that I am entertained by it. That's all I'm saying. It entertains me. 
you know, and I know I'm going to have a certain experience with the Tyler Perry. I'm not, so, I'm, I'm not looking for a Kugler moment, if that makes okay. sense. Okay, because Tyler Perry is the mumble rap as <laughs> Ryan Kugler is the Kendrick Lamar. I get it. <laughs> I, I hate you so much right now. I hate you so, I hate you so he, much. He's, Tyler Perry is the Playboy Cardi. <laughs> Don't do that. As, as Ryan Coogler is the J. Cole. It Ty is what it is. <laughs> Tyler Perry has made good movies. Why Did I Get Married was a good movie. That was a solid movie. Have you not heard Magnolia by Playboy Cardi? <laughs> okay. That is a bop. Okay. Bop, bop, bop. I hear your point. I get it. Fine. All right. <laughs> what about um, Dear White People? Man. The thing with Dear White People in my head now, I've mm -hmm. seen so many of the TV show and the movie, I can't remember what parts are different from the other parts and whatnot. Um, I remember watching it and thinking it was cute. Okay. And I don't want to call no one's work cute, but it didn't move me, but I think it did give a good understanding of what it means to operate as a black person in a white space. Okay. But I've removed myself from white spaces enough <laughs> at that point in my life where I haven't experienced that in a while. Like I okay. went to school in Atlanta, Georgia. I went to a historically black college and university. Then I moved to Washington, DC. And I teach, I have never taught a white child my whole teaching career. Oh, wow. Okay. Funny how that, where are these children going to school in DC? They're clearly not going where I'm teaching. <laughs> I would love to teach a white child, you know, oh, like God. whatever. Uh, but these are the kind of things I haven't had to grapple with in a while. The only time I kind of grapple with is those who choose to engage me on my personal Facebook page where you know how the algorithm go. Most of the people probably my algorithm are black and they yeah. feel like me <laughs> and we, we could talk that talk. And then every once in a game. <laughs> you found your audience like Tyler Perry. See, you get it. It makes sense. <laughs> and every once again, why do you even com comment on my stuff? Just, just keep it moving. <laughs> just keep it moving. You know they're gonna go at you. <laughs> I like so I like dear white people mainly because um, I feel like what it did do um, with Justin Simeon, I felt like brought back was satire. But in a modern context, um, it had a lot going on in it. And I'm glad they made it a series um, because they were able to flush out some of the things that you really couldn't appreciate within that two hour um, time frame. Uh, but it's one of my favorites. And it's one of the ones that I can watch um, repeatedly and, and really get something good from it. So we're approaching we're over an hour, so I'm gonna let you pick, I guess, the one film that's on the list that uh, that you feel like just is the perfect capture of what the article was trying to talk about, which is trying to help uh, people understand race or help people understand, um, for lack of a better phrase, the, the black experience. Um, if you had to pick a film from the list, uh, what would that be for you? Um, let's go with Malcolm X by Spike Lee. Wow. 
Okay, and why that one in particular? Because I believe it shows us the phases of what racism can do to drive someone to go towards criminality, how racism can stifle someone's potential, and then how being self-actualized in your blackness can propel you to greatness, and how even when you recognize your greatness that some people don't want to see you succeed uh, at those highest levels. And it, it painted a picture of the time period. It painted a picture of black masculinity. It painted a picture of black fatherhood. Um, and just a masterful job by Denzel Washington. It's a shame he did not win that Oscar for it. It is a shame. Uh, but yeah, that, that shows blackness and big, uh, it shows you colorism, being light-skinned. It shows you uh, operating between the, the justice system. I think it shows a lot of aspects of, of being black in America uh, in one swoop. Okay. Um, my choice, I'm going to go with imitations of life. Okay, okay. Take it back. I think out of what's on the... <laughs> Out of everything that's on the list, that one um, resonates with me. Um, it's kind of like a hodgepodge of what's that everything in the kitchen sink that you would hope. Um, it identifies the struggle, but it gives some semblance of hope um, given her professional relationship <laughs> with uh, uh the white co-stars in the movie, but then it blossomed into something else altogether that was a little bit more personal. Um, it explores the conversation of colorism, uh, but then it also, I think, explores the idea of African-Americans always striving, working to get to this point that you kind of hinted at earlier and buying into this notion that if I do this, if I could just be, if I could just work hard, if I could just, if I could just, if I could just, then maybe my situation will change. You know, if I can pass for, um, in the context of this film, uh, her, her, one of her struggles is if I could pass for a white person, you know, then I can just leave behind everything negative that comes with um, being black. Um, but then also it deals with, um, family relations, you know, the fact that at some certain certain points you have to let your kids go. And as much as you love them and you try to save them, you know, it gets to a point where uh, you, you can't. <laughs> you have to let your kids grow up and just be. Um, and I think it was the first film that I saw where, for better or for worse, it was not a happy ending. Mm. And I think, I hate to say it this way, but when it does come to our stories, not all of them, there's, we do get a happy ending, but it, it, help, <laughs> um, it helps us deal with the notion of how to deal with the endings that aren't so pleasant. Um, and then on a sentimental part, that's I think one of my mom and I's favorite uh, films to watch when I was younger. Although she did, oh, do I wanna say this live on Facebook? I think I said it already. She did let me watch House Party. Um, <laughs> I love House Party. House Party is amazing. You know they're trying to redo it, right? I don't need. I'm done with remakes. I don't need any more remakes. I, well, 
Well, I, I, no. I'll caution you. I'll caution no. you this. There's nothing you can say. There's I, like Stephen Glover, who works on Atlanta, is writing it. And I was like, if you do some of that good writing you did on Atlanta, on House Party, and have it starring Ray Schrimmer as Kid and Play, <laughs> I'll be all for it. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I get it. It's an established brand. You know, people know it, you know, and if you do it right, you'll get people to come in, da 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 da. If you're not going to Ryan Coogler it and really find <laughs> an original story within your remake, I feel like it's it's a wasted opportunity. Now, we don't know what's going to happen, man. They might set that thing in a ladder, baby. You never know. I hate you. <laughs> you never know. I, I was only excited because of the writer. Okay. Otherwise, I would have been like, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, Glover at this point, he can do no wrong. Um, he's he's found his lane, and he's at that Beyonce stage now where he doesn't do interviews, and when he does, they're very awkward. He'll wear a lion suit on <laughs> national television. So you know, I celebrate him. I think he's awesome. Um. I just, you know, I don't need another house party. No one, no one. I wasn't at. You might as well remake class active while we're at it. You know, if you're gonna, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's I put just, that on the list. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you're going to remake, but then I don't feel like that needs to be remade. I think oh, there, there are, there are a lot of stories that um, can be told and that need to be told. Um, that we have yet to see. And I think what I'm looking for, my hope uh, for black films in the future is just to really show the diversity and range that's within, with, that's within our culture. So, you know, we're not all partying, number one. We're not all uh, athletes. Um, some of us are geeks. Some of us are into comic book culture. Some of us actually do like science. I didn't know the wealth of black scientists that are in this country that it that's fascinating to me, you know. Um, and granted, that's not gonna sell tickets. I get that. But I just think there is a range of stories um that we can tell. So or a musical based off of Hamilton. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's out there. It's out there for us to create and make something new. Um that's why I appreciate Robert Townsend. He gave you me know. Hollywood Shuffle, Five Heartbeats, and Meteor Man. Come on now. You I just told um like my guest on the last show, he didn't know that Luther Vandross was in that movie. Oh and, yes. And the way the way that he put two and two together was I said, if you watch the entire movie, I don't think Luther said one word, but what he did do was point that gun and perch those lips and try to look tough. And <laughs> it, it is the funniest thing. But it is the funniest thing that I have ever seen. And so then he tells me, I'll send them to you when the broadcast is over. There are memes of Luther Vandross from, <laughs> I didn't know this until he told me. And yeah, so with Don Cheeto and ABC as the Golden Lords. <laughs> I didn't know there were memes. Yeah, so I know about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the funniest movie that Robert Townsend, hands down, and this I think this is my favorite comedy because Jennifer Lewis is in it. Jackie's back is the funniest Robert Townsend movie. He I don't know if I ever watched that. I will bring you the DVD and <laughs> you will sit down and watch it. And you can tell 
that Jennifer Lewis had so much work or input into that script and Robert was able to capture everything that he needed to make that movie work. And it's an all-star cast. Uh, it's a mockumentary about uh, uh. a black diva. So she's a fictional black diva, but all these real life celebrities like uh, Diane Carroll's in it. Um, um, oh God. Uh, Melissa Etheridge, Bette Midler, all these oh. people that Whoopi Goldberg plays her sister. Mm. I cannot believe you have not seen Jackie's back. Um, and we, we can go through. Like, do you watch Rusty Cundiff movies? I am. Or any. Movie. Rusty Cundiff did Fear of a Black Cat, which is kind of like CB4 before CB4 was CB4. No, I don't know also, about this. And have you seen Tales from the Hood? I have seen Tales from the Hood. That's a, that's a Rusty Cundiff movie, that was, too. Okay, so that was the first uh, movie where David Allen Greer scared the crap out of me. Um, <laughs> Because he didn't have to be, uh, what's her name? Um, yeah, the monster remember. and all that. Yeah, yeah when that, was that. that scared the crap out of me. Those little dolls scared the crap out of me. Um, um, uh, and the, uh, uh, oh God, there was another one. The, the zombie that came back, the, uh, the first story. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, when, when the cops beat the man. Yeah. Yeah. That was scary too, but um, they oh, made a sequel. Do. Did yeah, you know they, they made did. a sequel? I didn't I, know they I, made a sequel. I watched it. How was it? It's okay. <laughs> okay, but then I, I won't watch it. I just purchased a Shutter. I don't know if you know what Shutter is—the uh, horror movie uh, streaming service. Oh no, I'm not big into horror like that, unless it's. Unless it's zombie movies, uh huh, because zombies are kind of timeless. Uh, but I don't like the ghost apparition type joints. But a lot of zombie movies always have a lot of different socio uh commentary oh, that goes with it. Definitely, like like Down the Dead and and the Night of the Living Dead. Oh my god! Uh, even Twenty Eight Days Later and and those uh movies like that I watch uh and like Get Out, but I don't really watch like scary movies because I I scare very easily. I'm what they call in my community a punk ass bitch. <laughs> what? Yeah, what happened? What happened? Um, okay, well, this has been a good conversation. I've had two Brodies on my show, and I got to find a reason to get Gerard on here. Um, um, see what Slim Slim talking about. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what he likes to watch outside of of game banging, and that's the other genre <laughs> that you, you know. Watch gangster movies like that. My friend um, Ryan, he got me. Uh, casino. Casino's good. Yeah, and, but he got—he was very offended that I, I had never seen Casino. And this was back in two thousand eight, and he literally got it for my birthday. And he was like, "You're gonna sit here and you're gonna watch it." And Goodfellas. He made me you, watch those too. You you gotta watch the Scorsese movies, baby. You gotta watch gotta watch Scorsese movies. You've seen Godfather though, right? I saw. I actually saw. I went to go see Godfather in the movie theater uh, two years ago. I wanted that experience of seeing it in the theater. They were having one of those classic viewings showings, and it was one of the most. I, I saw why it was such a great movie. Have you seen um, part two? No, my mom told me I need to see part two because part two is arguably better than the original Godfather. That's that's heavy now because sequels. Which says a lot, which a lot of people saying you watch Godfather, I'm like, oh my god, this is an amazing movie. And then they took it up a notch. And it's like, you know how 
how you got uh, uh, Al Pacino in there. Yeah, let's go ahead and throw Robert De Niro in there too. And be like, oh my uh, God, you got you got both of them in there at the same time. Yeah, where you got Robert De Niro playing the young Vito Corleone, uh-huh. and Al Pacino playing Michael Corleone, and wow. how their lives are like converging as they taking over the family and whatnot. Oh my. Okay. And I don't even like gangster movies like that, but that's cinema, cinema, cinema. Mm. I will, I will, I will make that happen. Then I know I need to see um, that so I can participate in more diverse conversations. Yeah, I'm trying not to, uh, in the words of Slim, just be, psh, 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 you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm unpopular, that- unpopular opinion over here. Scarface is overrated. Wow. I'm good. I have a so you're gonna laugh at me, and that's fine. I don't care. We're brothers. Um, the I have not seen Scarface, but you okay? You're okay. <laughs> the, Mariah, the Mariah Carey video for Heartbreaker, where she has on the Michelle Pfeiffer outfit and Jay Z's <laughs> in the bathtub. I didn't know that was from Scarface until someone told me, and I was like, oh wow, okay. So that that's the closest I've ever gotten to Scarface. Um, you should watch it just to, to be a part of the, the narrative. Like, you should watch Apocalypse Now. You should watch A Bridge Over the River Kwai. This is the kind of movies I'll be watching on, on the low. Like, Bridge Over the River Kwai is, oh, my God. But anyway, that was me one summer where I decided to watch as many of the top 100 AFI movies of all time. Wow. That was, like, one of my summer things. And so I would, like, rent these movies from the library. Because yeah. that's pretty much where you can <laughs> Where, where I could get them, and I was like, I could see why these in the top 100. They yeah. still resonate. They and out still of those, resonate. out of those films, how many were black? No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, look. I don't think there was no Negroes in Citizen Kane, but Citizen Kane was still a good movie, man. No, I got it. I got it. Citizen Kane may be the best movie ever made, hands down. Like no, no debate. Citizen Kane might be the best movie ever made. So real quick, I, I, I always give this opportunity to all my guests. Normally I bring on other creatives um, and I do know you're a writer. So I know you can't talk about the specifics of what you're doing. I wouldn't put you in that position, but as a writer, what inspires you? Um, I, wanna, I wanna give people that opportunity to learn that side of you as well. Okay, um, my inspiration generally comes from life. Um, and trying to bring like a nuanced perspective to the side of life of being a black millennial trying to navigate today's society. Uh, A lot of my influences come from that, but then trying to add some unique spins to it, which I think if you looked in recent time, a lot of people are really taking the mantle of telling those stories when you have Issa Rae and her work with Insecure or you had Donald Glover's work with Atlanta, or you have, um, I can't remember his name, but uh, Sorry to Bother You. Um, oh, um, God, I love that film too. And I'm, I'm upset uh, that wasn't on the list, but, uh, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah, but just adding to that narrative and that conversation of what does it mean to be black in these spaces? Yeah. As we try to navigate this new world. But I'm also one to start with a foundation of more grounded narratives uh, till I branch out into my sci-fis because 
we need more black sci-fis, man. We do. I don't, I don't know what's going on with these black, uh, not black, but these white writers and directors. Why they don't think black people gonna make it to the future? So <laughs> I do. I and um, I just had this conversation. You talk about picking what genre you want to do. I want to get more into the fantasy, uh, adventure, sci-fi, because I think you don't see that too often. I think Black Panther, notwithstanding. You can probably count on one hand uh, how many stories where we're in that we're in that it's, space. It's so rude. Yeah, like I'm literally I'm I'm waiting for the point in the narrative where they said there was a mass genocide against Black people because why aren't we here? Like yeah. we're in the Matrix. We do have some parts in the Matrix. Uh, like like we're there. We're, we're there, there, but. So The Matrix is, again, one of my favorite films. Um, but I think what the Wachowskis were doing at that time, it was so, in my opinion, ahead of its time that I don't think representation was the goal, per se. I think yeah. it was more of the spectacle of it all and the cinematography and the visual effects and, and really the philosophy. Um, yeah. Now, to their credit, they had black people in some very powerful positions. You know, you had Morpheus, you had a black uh, Oracle. You know, um, it. I, I yeah. thought if Will Smith got to be Neo, then I don't think Lawrence Fishburne could have been Morpheus. It's like this thing a little too black now. <laughs> yeah, it could have been. I but you know, to their credit, they did ask Will Smith first, and he turned it down um, to do Wild Wild West. He didn't understand it. He didn't understand it. <laughs> Um, but okay, we're going to end there. Cause I feel like we could just keep going and you have to yeah. go and teach kids or uh, yes. you love your job. I can tell that is so awesome. We need more teachers like you. There we go. There we go. There we go. This is being broadcast live. Uh, <laughs> so I want to thank Mr. Brown for coming to the B signal podcast. You are always welcome back. If you want to come back, um, whenever you finish your film, um, I would love to have you back to talk about that as well. Um, I like the concept. I think it's going to be great. Um, and that's all I'll say. Uh, so thank you for coming through. Oh, thank you for having me, uh, getting to talk film. As you can tell, I'm passionate about film and I'm passionate about black people. So, <laughs> and that's, that's why I'm glad you came. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks, man. Oh, no problem. All right. Well, this wraps up another episode of the B Signal podcast. Uh, if you want to keep up with what we're doing, you can follow us on Instagram at B Signal Podcast. Um, you can also email us at bsignalpodcast at gmail.com. Also, you can visit us at www.bsignalpodcast.com. I am your host, B. Anthony, and thank you for watching.